This week's reading comes from Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. For those of you who started attending in the last three months, I uh, actually work here. I've been here a long time. I'm Pastor Brooke Simpson, and I've been on sabbatical. Yeah, thank you for, uh, thank you, church, for granting me um, this sabbatical. Thank you for all of your prayers. It is good to be back. Quite honestly, um, I, my, my occupation is to run my mouth. It's what I do. I teach. And I love to teach. I love to teach. But I had to stop teaching and stop talking long enough that I could listen. And so God has taught me a lot uh, over the sabbatical, way, way more than I can share in any one sermon or any sermon series, honestly. But I am going to attempt to to write out some of those lessons. So look forward to the Grace Insider. That's our monthly newsletter. Our next edition will be coming out next week. That will be the first of many articles on, on sabbatical lessons, what, what God taught me while I was away. Part of that, some of that, you're going to hear in the series that is starting the, this morning. Um, and so just encourage you to, uh, to, to check that out. But again, thank you for your prayers. It is, it is good to be back. So last week was Easter, and Pastor Josh um, taught, at least partially, on John 3.16, probably the most famous Christian verse. Even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, probably most of you, not all, but most of you have come to a place where you have placed your faith in Christ. That's a meaningful verse for you. You've, you've recognized that you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God. You understand that God sent his son. God became flesh he took on the sins of, of the world, that he conquered sin and death on the cross and, and, cross and was resurrected. And that's meaningful. So you've, you've trusted Christ. Some of you are on the fence yet. You haven't made that decision. It's something you're thinking about. You're, you're, you're mulling it around uh, and, and you're not sure. But whether or not you have trusted Christ or you, you, you trusted a long time ago or you're, you're going to in the future or even today, there is a question that is a fair question is, so if you do believe or if you're going to place your faith in Christ, what's next? For those of you that are on the fence, that's a particularly important question because you're kind of thinking, what am I getting myself into? If I believe, what, 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 what then? What's the life of a believer look like? So Matthew chapter 28, this is right before Jesus' ascension. So he's died on the cross. He's come out of the tomb. He's been resurrected. And he spent the last month or so, even more, with his disciples, appearing to them on and off, post-resurrection appearances. And just before he ascends into heaven in Galilee, he gives them the Great Commission. Now, if you've been coming to Grace for a while, you hear this uh, repeated over and over. It's the mission of the church. It's the mission of our church in particular, but the church uh, universal at large. And Jesus says, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make 
disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a very familiar verse to us here at Grace Community Church. For those of you who have been around for a while, you hear us repeat that often. You say, our mission is to be disciples who what? Make disciples, right? Well, what is a disciple? I mean, Jesus doesn't give us a working definition in this verse. Here's a working definition. A disciple is an apprentice. It's an apprentice. It's someone who who comes alongside and puts themselves under the teaching of someone else to follow them, to be apprenticed, to learn to live their lives in such a way that obedience to Jesus characterizes all that they do. Now, I want you to just hone in on that obedience. In the verse, it says, teaching them to do what? Observe, observe. So this is about obedience. Now, think. I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me, but I want you to be honest with yourself. How do you feel about that whole observe everything that Jesus commanded segment? Some of you, some of you, you, you kind of, that rev- that's... The natural gag reflex, that looks awful. The idea that I'm supposed to obey all that Jesus commanded is like something which is, it's just not something that sounds like it's going to be fun. That's how I was before I became a Christian. I knew when I was in college, first couple years in college, I'd never read a Bible, but I kind of assumed I probably should. But I was like, I'm in no hurry because I'm pretty sure that once I start reading it, it's going to tell me to stop doing a lot of the things that I really enjoy doing. So the idea that I'd obey whatever Jesus commanded, even though I had no idea what it was, was not something that I wanted to do. Now, after I became a Christian and I became an apprentice, I received forgiveness for my sins. I started following him. I did want to. But then that verse changed. Instead of being repulsive to me and something I didn't want to do, it's something that kind of depressed me a little bit. How many of you are discouraged by the commandment to observe all that Jesus has commanded? Why would you be discouraged? Because you fail. It's like it's overwhelming. It's like, oh, I'm just, I, all, I never measure up. I never measure up. Now, I've been there on and off, over and over, repeatedly. But there's something else we're missing here because we ought to be encouraged because here's the promise. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to take up residence inside of you. I'm going to dwell within you. And I am going to change you fundamentally from the inside out to make you the kind of person that is able to love as I love. Now, that's a work in progress. It's not a light switch. It's a gradual empowering that the Holy Spirit does in us. So the question is, what does it look like? What does it look like to observe all that I've commanded? Well, let's just look at the summary verse. It's the text that was read by Isaiah just a second ago. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. That's the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. So when when the great commission is given, observe everything that Jesus commanded, it's summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There, it's simple, right? Well, it isn't simple. It is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. One of the things that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about over on my sabbatical, was it, what does it mean to become the kind of person 
that's actually able to do that. Not just somebody who knows what Jesus said, but knows how to, to be empowered. So we're going to start a new series, a seven-part series today called Blessing Our Community, where we're going to learn how to, we're going to learn how to love. What does that look like? What does that look like? We're going to break it down. Now, some of you, how many of you seen the, the series, The Chosen? You're like, they totally ripped off the logo there. No apologies. That is a, we're, yes, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. That is, uh, we got the graphic there, the idea. Uh, our graphics team got that from that. It's, the idea is that you see that different colored fish. We're supposed to look different than the rest of our, rest of our culture, to swim upstream, if you will, to, to love as Jesus loved us, to love the Lord our God, love our neighbors as ourselves. So we're going to take a look this morning, introduce this series on three things. First of all, what is love? Secondly, who, what's the object of our love? Who do we love? And the third thing we're going to look at is, well, how do we become the kind of people who love well? How do we become the kind of people who love well? So to kick off this series and this sermon, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the fact that you first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, you loved us to the uttermost. Not when we were righteous, but when we were unbelieving, you sent your son and demonstrated that great love. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray that your word would be uh, uh, alive and active and our hearts would be open and receptive to receiving it. Help me to preach and teach in such a way that Christ is exalted so that we might, as your disciples, and for those who have not yet begun to follow you, that you would call them to yourself. And for those of us who are following, Lord, empower us to become the kind of people you want us to become. Uh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get to it. First of all, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, what does he even mean by that? We think we know what love is, but what do we mean by love? Another passage here in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. This is the last supper. This is just before he washes their feet, just before he breaks the bread and, and, and lifts up the cup and then is betrayed and goes to the cross. He says, uh, a new commandment. Here's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Then he adds this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's the distinguishing benchmark of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Yes, there's a doctrinal, what do you believe? What's the object of your faith? But the quality of the believer, the apprentice of Jesus is they love one another well. Okay, now what do we mean? What does he mean when he says love? I've been married since 1989. I fell in love with my wife in 1986 when we began dating. Now, just a quick show of hands for fun. How many of you have fallen in love at one time or another? That few, wow, some cold people in this room. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you have fallen out of love because some of you are still married, and that would be awkward for your spouse to watch you raise your hand. But you laugh, but you know it's true. Here, when I said to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I love you, you know, you got those butterflies in your stomach, and you just, just guts are churning, and you just, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I got to say it. I love you. You know, you know the moment. All of us have been there at one time, right? What did I mean? Let me translate what the, uh, the Brooke Simpson in 1986 was saying. Now, I love you was coming out of my mouth. But here's what the translation is. Stacy, 
I love how you make me feel when I'm with you. That's what I meant. And that's why when you first get married, sometimes within 10 minutes after you've, the reception is over, or at least two to three weeks, two to three years, seven years after, after the, the honeymoon, you quote unquote, fall out of love. What does that mean? I no longer love the way I feel when I'm with you. Is it? Some of you are still married because marriage is a covenant. Why? Because you understand that that's not primarily what love is. There is a feeling component to love, and we shouldn't discount those feelings, but that's not the definition. It's not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean have intense feelings for one another. The way that my feelings are intense for you, you should feel the same way about everyone else. That's not even possible. John 3.16 does not mean for God so had intense feelings for all of the people that he sent his son. No, he sent his son to receive and to intercede and to take the wrath of God for people that hated him. Feelings are good, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. They come and they go, they wax and they wane. And if you've been in a relationship for any longer than seven minutes, well, seven minutes, seven years for sure, you know that's true. So what is love? Here's a good working definition of love. It's to seek the good of another. That's what it means. It means to take another person and, and, and sacrifice for them for their benefit. Now, sometimes you feel really good about that. Sometimes there's a warm feeling. Sometimes there's affection. Sometimes there's romance. But oftentimes, no, I, I love them. I'm choosing. It's an act. It's a volitional choice. It's an act of the will. I choose to seek this person's good. I choose to seek this person's good, to seek their welfare, to build into them, to encourage them, to equip them, to care for them, to care for them. So that's what love is. So secondary question, not secondary as of importance, but secondary in, in, second in, in sequence, who should we love? Well, Jesus says, well, obviously the, the Father, we love God. That's a vertical relationship. There's a vertical relationship, but we also love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, who's included in the umbrella of neighbor? Anyone we come in contact with. Sometimes our neighbors are going to be like us. Uh, same ethnicity, same socioeconomic background, same, um, same likes, same dislikes, same faith, same religion, if you will. Sometimes our neighbors are very much like us. And lit- are there are literal neighbors. They live in the houses or the apartment next door to us. Sometimes we work with them, go to school with them. Okay, so sometimes there are people like us. Sometimes there are people in our vicinity, uh, in our same proximity, but they're not at all like us. They might be different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds. They might not share your faith, and they might actually dislike or disbelieve what you believe in. They don't have your same values. And so that's a more and more common thing for, for Christians in our culture. In the United States, it's becoming more and more common that our neighbors don't share our beliefs. And sometimes our neighbors are hostile to us and they're obnoxious. And sometimes we are obnoxious and hostile too. So it goes both ways. Sometimes we don't like our neighbors. Sometimes our neighbors are our enemies. And what does Jesus say about enemies? to love our enemies and pray for those who... You can't get around the whole loving your neighbor thing. Everybody fits under the umbrella. 
Even people that want to kill you, if they're your neighbors, Jesus will love them. And pray for those who persecute you and the church. So that's who we are to love, the Lord, and also our God. So in the early church, in the early church, you saw, you began to see the church become successful. They were truly, they were truly manifesting this. They were becoming the kind of people, they were becoming the kind of people that were loving well. And, and the world was taking notice. These people are loving like Jesus, and they were being known as his disciples by the characteristic of their love. Here's a couple different verses. Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says, every time I think about you, I give thanks to God for the Father of our Lord Jesus when I pray for you. He says, since we heard of your faith, since we heard of you coming to Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So these people in this particular local church were well known for how they cared for one another and how they loved for one another. Not just what they intellectually believed and they assented to. Not just the content of their faith, but the quality of their faith and what it produced in them. They were, they were well known across the region. Another church in Thessalonica, similar verse. He greets them and he says, we ought to always give thanks for our God for you, brothers, as it is right because of your faith is growing abundantly. So their people are, their new believers are growing in their faith. And he says, and the love that every one of you has for one another is increasing. Another place in First Thessalonians, he says, um, I want to encourage you to love one another. Although I don't really need to say that because you're already knocking it out of the park. It's a loose translation, but that's pretty much what he said. You're, you're killing it on the whole loving each other. You're an awesome example. So there were, there were great examples. Now, that's an internal, internal witness. In other words, when you ask someone about themselves. So you say, hey, tell me about Grace Community Church. So, and you become, you're part of Grace Community Church, and you tell someone about Grace Community Church. So that'd be an internal witness. So this is an internal, this is Christians describing other Christians. Well, how do the non-Christians describe the early Christians? This guy's uh, Emperor Julian. They call him Julian the Apostate. He's the nephew of Constantine. Constantine was the first Roman emperor who, after 300 or so years of, of the church, who made it legal to worship Jesus openly. And Constantine, it is said, eventually became a Christian himself. Well, after he died, his nephew Julian, they call him Julian the Apostate because although he was raised in, in, in a Christian home, he rejected his faith, wasn't his, he rejected his parents' faith, and he returned to the old polytheism uh, and to worship the Roman gods. And so he, he brought a reformation, if you will, of, of paganism and polytheism. And he's writing here to one of his pagan priests complaining about the Christians. Let's just take a look at this little excerpt from his letter. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our priests, that is, the pagan priests, when we, the pagans, were overlooking and neglecting our poor, then I think the impious Galileans. What does impious mean? Probably not a word you use often. Have you heard the word pious? It means religious, reverent, acknowledging your life in such a way that your life acknowledges that there is a God. Impious means you act like an atheist. Here's what he's saying. Those atheist Christians. Now for you to hear that, you think that, that's an oxymoron. Remember, he's a polytheist. He worships many, many gods. The Christians reject all of those gods and therefore the Romans believe them to be 
atheists. That's not a compliment. Those impious Galileans are Christians. What does he say? Observed this fact, that is, that our poor are being neglected, and they devoted themselves to philanthropy. That means good deeds, taking care of people. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Here's what he's saying. Those dirty, rotten followers of Christ, they're so sneaky. Because we neglect our poor, they seize the opportunity to come alongside and take them under their wings and care for them, outdoing us and showing, showing our people that their God is greater than our God's. And so he instituted a policy where he told the pagan priest to imitate the Christians in the culture. It's a strategy that didn't work because there's no power in paganism. This is an external witness by someone who despises Christians and says these people love well. They're showing us up. In fact, we need to imitate the way they care for not only their own poor, but our poor. So that's the witness. Now, before we wax nostalgic and think, oh, those were the good old days when, when all followers of Jesus were perfect, they were never perfect. In fact, there's lots of places in the New Testament where you see, where you see a rebuke. Here's one in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus gives the seven letters of Revelation to seven different churches spread throughout uh, Macedonia. Well, Ephesus is one of those churches. Now, at the beginning part of this letter, he says, here's some things you're doing really, really well. So let's take a look at what he's, they're doing really Now, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your patient endurance and how you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you've not growing weary. So let's just stop right there. Here's some good things. They, they reject evil and they embrace righteousness. They, in, they reject false teaching, and they embrace good teaching. They endure uh, hardship for the sake of the name of Christ. And Jesus is like, and, and I want to praise you for that. You do, that's, you're doing this well. However, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, and do the works that I did at first. If not, I will come and I will remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, here's what that lampstand reference means. I'll take my Holy Spirit out of your presence and your church will just, it'll just fade into non-existence. Because it'd be better if you stopped meeting as a church than if you continued to meet without love. They were doctrinally sound, but they lacked love. They lacked love. How many of you for your weddings you chose to have read 1 Corinthians 13? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. It's a great wedding, great wedding verse. It's the, it's the very uh, flowing poetic verse where Paul, it's the love chapter in the Bible. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It endures. It never quits. It never dies. It's a beautiful chapter. And that's why people choose to have it read in weddings. But how many of you understand or knew that this chapter in 1 Corinthians is a spanking? It's a rebuke. Everything that Paul said love isn't, the Corinthians were. And in chapters 1 through 12, 
he illustrates how they keep record of wrongs. He illustrates how they are proud, how they, they, uh, how they do. Um, they're not patient. They're not kind. He's illustrated all that, and then he drops that hammer down. This is not what you are, but this is what you should be. So, yes, we're more like Ephesus and maybe Corinth than we are Thessalonica. We work hard. We endure suffering. This is kind of experimental. Please don't answer, but I want you to think about it. Internal witness or external witness. What is Grace Community Church known for? Teaching. It's like Ephesus. If you ask somebody in the community, what what do you think of Grace Community Church? You hear about Grace Community Church. I'm going to guess that none of you, if you ask that question, would hear they love their community and one another really, really well. Probably not. There's probably very few churches in the West that would be characterized that way by people that didn't attend their own church. I'm saying this not to shame you, but just to point out something which is a reality, and and that's we are not great at doing what Jesus said. Here's, Here's the problem. The problem is this. What we do well is tell people what Jesus said. That's what I do for a living. I I teach the Bible. I love to teach the Bible. I love to preach the word of God. I love to help people understand what Jesus said, but that's there, there. That has to happen, but that's falls short of discipleship because discipleship is teaching them to observe everything that what we're not so good at, what we don't do as well is actually doing what Jesus said. Why? The, the problem is that we have the commands and we're told to obey them, but it's not natural. My default nature, your default nature, to seek the well-being of someone else above your own is completely unnatural. It is supernatural. It's not natural. And so it's, what's natural is to see ourselves fail a lot. And that's, that's okay, but how do we grow? How do we grow? Loving Jesus is commanded, and it's possible, but it's, it's not natural. I had a meeting with a friend of mine that I've known for over 20 years, and it was back in December, right before I left for sabbatical. And, and I was telling him about the things that God was teaching me about myself. And some of the things I was sharing had to do with my marriage and uh, my relationship with my wife and, and the fact that I'm typically not emotionally available or open. I don't even know what I'm feeling most of the time, except anger. I express that fairly liberally. And so anyway, I'm having this conversation with, and God's teaching me a lot about what it means to be a, intimate emotionally with someone that you care about and they care about you to open up. Anyway, we're talking and so forth. At the end of this, end of this lunch, I said, so how can I encourage you? Now, remember, I've known this guy for how long? Over 20 years. Here was his, here's his reaction. You've never asked me that question in 20 years. I didn't miss a beat. And that's because I said, I don't know how to love, but today's a new day. I've been teaching people what the Bible says about love for, for 25 years. 
I want to become the kind of person who actually does it. And there has to be more than cognitive overload. Read, 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 study, study, study. The Holy Spirit has to do a work. God has to bring about the change. I can't do it on my own, but I recognize that I have not loved well. But I aspire to love well. What would happen in your life if you began to become a princess of Jesus and began to become empowered to actually love other people the way that Christ loves you? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen in the relationship with you and your children? What would happen with you and your coworkers, some of whom you like and some of whom you want to strangle? What would happen with your classmates, with your teammates? What would happen if you had one another's back and you never talked about one another behind their backs? What would happen if you began to seek the welfare of all of the people that God put around you? What kind of church, what kind of family, what kind of society would we have? I would say that it would look nothing like what we're used to. And that's what we're invited to participate in. You can't do it in your own power. It's impossible. It's not natural. It's supernatural. But it is possible. It is possible. So how do we become these kind of people? How do we grow? How do we change? How do we move from, yeah, I know a lot about love. I read the Bible. I've taught the Bible to the kind of person when someone says, yeah, Brooks, he is the kind of person who loves well. How do, how do, how do you make that transition from intellectual understanding to practical practice? How, how does it work? Three things. Three things. And by the way, newsflash. When we pray and dismiss, that doesn't mean we'll all walk out of here humming and doing this well. It means that this is what we need to start moving into. This is what it means to apprentice, to be an apprentice and let the Holy Spirit transform us. But this is the three things. First of all, you got to receive love. You can't give what you've never received. Some of you have not yet begun to follow Christ. Some of you have not yet received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that God is calling you to begin to follow Christ, to receive the forgiveness that he offers for the forgiveness of sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to receive a pardon. But more than that, to receive his righteousness and the Holy Spirit which indwells you, which will empower you to become a different person. Not so that you can be right with God, but because you are right with God, because of what he has done. The reference here is 1 John chapter 4, actually verse 7 through 9, where, where Paul, or not Paul, John says, God is love, and this is love. It's not that we first loved him. It's not that we love God and we showed God how, how righteous we are and how worthy we are. No, 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 no. It's that he first loved us and gave his son as an offering. So loving begins with receiving that love. The love of God that you didn't work for and you can't earn, but that God gives freely as a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Receive him this morning. 
You say, well, I don't even know what that means. It means that you place your faith in him. It means that you cry out to God. Paul says in Romans, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It just means that you just cry out, Lord, okay, I don't know. I don't know how let's figure it out. Here's one thing I know. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've screwed up. I haven't loved well. And you have loved well. And I want to receive your love. Save me. It says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where it starts. Then... You observe love. You can't do what you've never seen done. Is that a general principle that we can all agree with? You cannot do something that you've never seen executed yourself. It's not... You have... Children grow. They learn to speak. How do they learn to speak? By watching their mothers and their fathers and people move their lips and make noise. And they begin to mimic that. That's how children develop. That's how Christians develop. They see, they see. So what we're going to do over the next six weeks, starting next week, is we're going to see Christ in action loving people in different ways. Now we're following an acronym, bless, bless, begin with prayer, listen, listen to God, listen to one another, eat. Some of you are like, sweet, I can do that. It's the one I can do. And then, Serve and then share. Serve and then share. We got that idea from a book by uh, Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson called Bless, appropriately. It's uh, five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. Now, the premise of this book is really about relational evangelism. We're not going to really focus so much on that, although that's an application. That's assuming that the person you're loving doesn't know Jesus. Well, this works really, really well for anyone who's under the umbrella of neighbor. Christian or not. So this isn't me teaching through a book. It's where I got the idea. Where I got the idea. But we're going to see those different ways. So we're going to observe. We're going to see it. Okay, what do I do? What did Jesus do? If we're going to apprentice after Jesus, we've got to watch him at work, right? And then thirdly, the last one, you've got to practice. You've got to practice. The, the reference here is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. John says, for anyone who would abide in Christ, they must walk as Jesus walked. Now that goes beyond understanding intellectually. Yeah, I read Jesus. I read the Bible. I I heard the message. Or I preached the message. It goes beyond an academic understanding of what Jesus said. It even goes beyond, I saw what Jesus did through the scriptures. I saw it. Okay, now the third part is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to walk in the same way that Jesus walked, by faith. It's not, a, it's not something that's... It's a, yes, there is an obedience component, but it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's what God is doing in us to walk it out. That, that word that's translated walk, it can be translated practice. You don't become good at anything by reading about it. I've been married for since 1988. I didn't grow up in a home where I saw, able to see what love looked like. It wasn't modeled well in my home. But I read a lot when I first became a believer, and I read all the books. I knew all the apologetics. It was all about every book I could get my hands on. 
And as I grew in my marriage, my marriage floundered because I didn't know how to love. And I remember at one point in 1998, 10 years after I was, nine years after I was married, I, I confessed some sin to my wife that I had done before we were married. And she forgave me. And I told her, I said, honey, I don't know how to love you. But Christ commanded me to love you as he loved his church. And I don't know what that means, but I'm going to learn. And then she got sick with Lyme disease. Many of you heard the story. I can't go into it right now. But I began to learn how to love un poco. That means a little bit. I learned that service is a major component of love. And I thought that I knew everything. I've been teaching the Bible since 19, I don't know, 98. I know, I've preached these sermons before. I know all about love. And yet it wasn't until two and a half years ago when I submitted myself to counseling. Every once in a while, Stacey would have these fights, right? And generally they were along these lines. You don't know how to love. Which made me become defensive and angry, which really brought out the love, right? And... Every once in a while, she'd say something about counseling, but I don't need counseling, I just need the Word of God. Or I need another book about the Word of God. So I would just stuff information into my head about how to love, 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 for 20-some years. And I knew a lot about love, and I'd seen a lot about love, but I didn't know how to love. I didn't start to really... I think that it started, the growth curve started about two and a half years ago when I finally submitted myself, okay, I'll sit down with somebody. You and me, Stacy, we'll sit down with Jim and Peggy Saban, chair of our elder board, who's a biblical counselor. And I began to walk out in practice with community what Jesus had taught. Oh, that's how you do it. Just like when I used to wrestle. I didn't know any technique. I started wrestling in eighth grade. I was a latecomer. Only wrestled varsity two years in high school. Got to the University of Iowa, and Yabel told me, you have no idea how to wrestle. But I can fix that. And how, do you fi- how do you learn to wrestle? You drill. You have someone who knows more than you walk it through, and you walk it out until it becomes muscle memory. Love is not different. It's heart memory. But it has to be... It has to be done with other people. And that's one of the weaknesses of the American church. We think that by coming to a church filled with hundreds of people that I don't know and then leaving and going back out of the world and being around other people that I do know but don't know intimately, none of whom are following Christ, that somehow we can read about love and then do it, doesn't work that way. You've got to submit yourself to doing this with other people. He said, well, I don't, I'm a visitor here at Grace. I don't like your preaching. I don't like the music. Fine, go find a church that you do like and submerse yourself with those disciples so you can apprentice with Jesus together. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will begin to work and then, like the disciples, we will be known by our love for one another. It's your call, though. You got to make that first step. This morning, we're going to uh, celebrate communion together. If you did not get the communion cups, please raise your hand and we'll make sure that those come around. 
How many of you enjoy the styrofoam-flavored wafers? Just a show of hands. Me neither. Me neither. We've been doing the, I call them COVID cups. We've been doing these since COVID. We'd like to transition out of the COVID cups and begin to do communion the way we used to do it, where we'd actually pass out something which resembled bread. And so if, if you would like to do that, and you'd be willing to help us distribute those, uh, and you say, yeah, I can, I can help with that on, not this Sunday morning, but some other Sunday morning, please see Wade Summers in the back of the auditorium or just outside uh, the sanctuary. He'll be wearing a mask, but um, just talk to him and said, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to help. Uh, as, as, as you're preparing to take communion, communion was instituted on the night of the Lord's betrayal. And here at Grace, we practice what is called open communion. Now, what does that mean? It's open in the sense that it's not, it's not restricted to members of grace. So if you're an attender here, you're not a member, or you're, you've been coming for a long time, the only thing that the requirement is is that we, we believe that communion is for someone who has trusted Christ as their Savior. So if that's not something you've done, then today could be your first communion. You simply need to call out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Save me. And then you can participate in, in communion. For parents... This is totally on you. You know your children. They may or may not be ready for communion, but they do need to, this is not snack time. So don't view it as that. And if your kids are not yet trusted Jesus, then don't give them communion. But whether or not you are a new believer in Christ and you're five or 50 or 70 or whatever, we encourage you to take communion. And if you are a new believer and you haven't been baptized, um, the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper and baptism as the two ordinances of the churches, which are still ongoing today. So I encourage you to consider, consider being baptized. So we're going to go uh, do a praise song here, hold on to those communion elements, and then we'll come and, and guide you through communion here in, in just a moment.